Hey, New Market Alliance Church, hope you're doing well. I miss you. I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. If this is the first you're seeing me in a while, uh, yeah, this is New Look Ganyu. This is uh, Babyface Jonathan. I want to lose five pounds, so I shaved my beard because it was so... Anyways, if you've got your Bible with you, will you turn to Ephesians chapter 5? We're still in this series um, on the letter to the Ephesians, and the series is called, Who Do You Think You Are? And maybe at no other point uh, is this relevant in the midst of a crisis. We need to know what our identity is, what God calls us. And so I'm reading from the NLT, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality. And all the single guys are like, yeah, but what does that mean in the Greek? It means stop it. Let there be no impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Some translations call us saints. I like that. That's our identity. If you're a follower of Christ, he calls you a saint. Don't let there be obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Even in the locker room? Yeah, even in the locker room. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And, and then maybe in this next part, you might say, well, I read a book and a guy said that's not true. Well, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as children of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So it seems like there's two lists here that Paul's making. There's the do not list and there's the do list. And it says, first of all, do not engage in sexual immorality or impurity. Well, what if she's hot? Well, so's hell. Put your hands where they belong. And what if we're going to get married? And what if we've known each other for a long time? No, keep your hands where I can see them. Social distance yourself, young lady. And what if, no, friends with benefits, adultery, uh, um, pornography, uh, Netflix and chill, booty calls, whatever the kids are saying these days, it's just a big old bucket of no. Single people all of a sudden become Greek scholars and ask, well, did, he mean, you know, in the original Aramaic that the sexual immorality really, yes, Professor Bible College, he's talking about you. Uh, and number two, do not engage in greed. Nowadays, we call it advertising and marketing. I thought greed was good. Isn't that what Wall Street has told us? Um, are we seeing any 
greed these days around COVID, like anybody hoarding, um, anybody fighting over toilet paper, any senators that are selling stocks before the news is let out, is any of that any good? Does it, does it make life better? Uh, number three, do not participate in obscene stories, foolish talk, right? I don't know how many of you guys say stuff when you're with the guys that you would never say when women are around. I, I don't know if, if women do that a lot. I know that men do that. And he says, nope, don't participate in it. And do not associate with sinful behavior. Number four, it doesn't say don't associate with sinful people because you'd have to find a new planet and that's a big inconvenience. But don't participate in sinful behavior, meaning if some people are doing something that's wrong, you don't do what they're doing. And the Holy Spirit will, will convict you and you'll know. I shouldn't be here. I, I shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. It doesn't mean I can't love them. I can't be friends with them. But when they're participating, going to those places, doing that, I, I can't join. Number five, do not participate in the darkness that people do, but expose it. And this can be all kinds of things. This can be uh, pagan spirituality, um, participation in other religions. This can be whatever. And I, and I love the the language here that it's dark. It's just dark. When we're in darkness, it's because we're hiding, right? We're doing something that we're not supposed to be doing. You know, D.L. Moody is a name you may recognize, and he was fond of saying, character is what you are in the dark. Um, when you think nobody's looking, when uh, when you turn the lights out and assume that even God can't see, you think God's up in heaven going, they turn the lights out. I wonder what they're doing down there. Like from the noises, it's quite concerning, but he knows, he knows. So um, you don't want people I know to, to know the websites you visited. You, you don't want people to know the places you went the kind of relationships maybe that you're engaged in, the activities that you're participating in. You're trying to keep it all in the darkness. And what Paul says is, expose those things. Um, talk about those things, confess those things, get help for those things. And then he has a do list. Uh, imitate God, right off the top. Sort of a, sort of a big request, right? Like. It's also kind of the goal of our life. Imitate God. How would God treat people? Uh, what would God say? What would, what would God do in this situation? What would God give? How would God react? Um, what would God think about this situation? Responding the way God would respond, reflecting who God is, responding in a crisis the way Jesus would respond. I like what Andy Stanley tweeted recently. He said, when the story of COVID-19 is just a story we tell, let's make sure our stories are worth telling. And then do, do live a life filled with love. This is a habitual, ongoing lifestyle. You, you love people. 
And this includes generosity and affection and service and investment in people. And he says, do live as people of light. This is, this is being honest about your own sin, putting it out in the light. First um, John says it this way, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. Walking in the light means talking to God, um, talking to other Christians about our struggles and and our real life. And too often I see, you know, people um, keep everything in the darkness, right? And their life sort of falls apart. And then they run into church and try to sort of microwave relationships for help. And well, how about this instead? Live as people of light before a crisis before your marriage falls apart. Allow others to know you and be in community with you. Well, he goes on to add a couple more things on the to-do list, like do be wise, do discern what God pleases, do be careful how you live, do make the most of every opportunity, do be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna tackle some of that next week because I've been preaching too long lately and y'all need to get back to, you know, social distancing and corn streaming. Um, but now, what does a list, like ostensibly a list of rules, have to do with our topic today of I am adopted? And well, um, think of it this way. You might be old enough to remember a little bathroom book called uh, Life's Little Instruction Book. Just uh, type in the comments if that rings a bell. You're probably as old as me or older. And it just had a sentence or two per page. It was just 511 uh, suggestions, observations, reminders written from a dad to a son. It wasn't originally even meant to be published, but it was and it, and it became this, this huge bestseller. Now, do you think that sounds like a loving thing to do? or a controlling, mean thing to do. Some of you may remember this tearjerker Michael Keaton movie, um, My Life, and it's about a dying father, and he starts recording these videos for his child uh, so that even when he's gone, he can instruct in the ways of integrity and wisdom and character, and even simply so that his child will know him. Now, does that sound like legalism? or rule keeping or a bad dad. Because um, the Ephesian list here of, of do's and do nots, it's, it's pretty daunting. How many of you just stopped taking notes uh, because the list just was getting too long? We didn't, we didn't even get to all the list. It keeps going for the next five verses. But so here's what a preacher would usually do. And that's go all moralistic, right? Like don't do this, do this. Uh, how do we not do the bad things and how do we do the good things? Have I, have I built up your excitement and anticipation? Jonathan, please tell us. Well, I'm gonna tell you anyway, even though that was clearly sarcastic. It's all right here. Understanding that you are adopted by the Father God uh, makes all the difference. You know how you're going to do what's right 
and not do what's wrong. Not by getting focused on yourself, but by getting to know your dad. Uh, he says in Ephesians 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. That sounds good, right? Beloved children. Christians are beloved children of God. So here's our identity, Nack. If you're a Christian, God's your father and we are his beloved children. Uh, he's already told us in Ephesians 1.5 at the beginning of the book that we're adopted. You ever seen a kid who's adopted? Like, you ever seen some of those videos on YouTube? It's, it's a beautiful thing. A kid doesn't have a dad and then they get a dad. It, it changes that kid's whole life. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be your parents. I love you so much. I love you. Eight times in Ephesians, he talks about God as our Father, explicitly and overtly. This is how the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. And Nack, if you're a Christian, your relationship with God is a relationship with God as your Father. Um, it, it, it's when uh, the Lord Jesus shows up and there's all these children around him. And some of the disciples are like, hey, could we lose the brats? And Jesus is like, no, no, I love kids. I welcome kids. In fact, you know, God is our father and we're his kids. It changed the way uh, the world sees children. It changed the way uh, the world talked to God and saw God. Jesus shows us that the father heart of God and he, he reveals to us that we can be adopted into, into God's family. And what started happening, it was really interesting, was all these abandoned, discarded, abused children, we talked about that a few weeks ago, where especially young baby girls were left to die, left on literally the rubbish heap of society, um, sent to be drowned. And a Christianity starts to grow in the Roman in the Roman Empire, and they they started adopting these kids, and so the Christians literally would go out and and be there's a baby on the trash, let's take him home. There's a, a baby um, abandoned in the wilderness, let's let's adopt them, take them home. Oh, um, I see somebody about to put a baby with a millstone around its neck and drown it in the river. Why don't you give your baby to us and we'll take her home? Like Christians started adopting all the kids. Why? Because your theology informs your activity because Jesus Christ was adopted. Jesus Christ was adopted. God came as Jesus Christ and he didn't have an earthly father and he was adopted by an earthly father, a guy named Joseph. And so not only was Jesus adopted, through Jesus, we're adopted. It's why, it's why Christians have always loved adoption, amen? We've got 
families in our church who know the, the joy and the hardship of adoption, who, who um, have adopted themselves or have been adopted. And uh, I think of my friends, Jesse and Shalina out west. You, you saw Shalina sing with us a few weeks ago on, on Family Day. And they adopted this beautiful Aboriginal girl, uh, Melanie. And she's really special to Vicki and me. And I just asked if Shalina would summarize in, uh, in a few words about why. Uh, it's not like there was fertility issues. They already had two children um, of their own. But here's what she said about why this was put on their heart. As we started to have children, God opened our eyes to the blessing of being a part of a healthy, stable, extended family and support system, albeit imperfect. We want to open the circle of love and health to children caught up in cycles of poverty, abuse, and addiction through no fault of their own. We felt called to share from our abundance, not just hoard blessing from our own family and children. Though we started by pursuing international adoption, God redirected our path partway through as we became aware of the needs, prejudices, and injustices that existed within Canada's Indigenous communities. And as he dealt with our own fears and hang-ups, we quickly realized that adopting is not about saving anybody fulfilling our own desire to build a family, or trying to erase a tragic story. It is about rightly stewarding the life of a little child entrusted to us who has a history, a family, a culture, and a story before even arriving at our home. It is about being part of God's redemptive and reconciling work in this world in one of the most sacred and intimate institutions there is, family. And so God's heart is a father's heart and God's heart is an adoptive heart. I want you to see salvation as adoption. Uh, who makes the decision to be adopted? Is it the child or the parent? It's the, it's the parent, right? Who makes that decision? The, the adult. Now it's a legal transaction. A kid can't just go into a courthouse and ask for paperwork and fill it out and sign it and then he's adopted. The adoption is, is from the parent's discretion. It's a legal transaction. So, so who adopts us? God does. It's a father who adopts his kids. If you're a Christian, he picked you. He picked you. He picked you to be his son or his daughter. He adopted you into his family. You now bear his family name, Christian. And you now receive all the inheritance and the rights and all, the, all, all that comes with being a child of the king. Uh, so the first question is, why, why does God do this? because this is simply what God is like. He's great and he's good and he's glorious and he's kind and he's generous. So as we read this list from our heavenly father of, of don't do this and, and do this, um, all of that is to be learned in, in community, in, in a family. And one of the things that is discouraging is that the average person views God 
in, in the lens or through the lens of how their father treated them. So, you know, most people, most Christians, in fact, believe in something that we call uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, big words, deism. God lives far away. He's not really involved in my life. Moralistic. Um, he just wants me to be good and nice, keep the rules. Therapeutic, so we you know, should take whatever we can find from theology and spirituality and just sort of grab some tricks and tips and, and, and just live a, a safer, nicer life. That view of God is, is like their earthly father. Ah, uh, he left, he doesn't know me, he, he's not here to help me. Um, uh, he hopes I do my best and maybe once in a while he sends a check, right? The view of God in the Bible is absolutely different than the view of God in culture. In the Bible, God's a good father. I, I need you to know that, I need you to believe that, I, I need you to trust that. And for some of you, this is a truth I know that's gonna take a while to penetrate your heart. But Paul summarizes it by saying, be imitators of God because you're his dearly loved children. That's his whole thesis. Um, little, little boys who have a dad that absolutely loves them, they wanna be like their dad. And little girls who have a dad that absolutely loves them want to grow up to marry somebody like their dad. That's what children do. When children have a father who loves them, they want to be like them. So the change in activity and behavior really starts with a change in identity. It's a, it's a father issue. It's a parent issue. You know why I don't want to do that and I do want to do that? You know why I want to do the to-do list and not do the to-don't list? Because my dad loves me and I want to be like my dad. And if dad tells me no, it must be that there's a good reason for it because I know that my dad is good. If your dad comes along and says, please don't do that. Um, if you really love your dad, you say, okay, I don't fully understand, but I trust you. And I know that you're always seeking my good, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna trust this. And then eventually that faith will become sight and I'll see, I'll see why, I'll see what you were talking about. So Nak, you're adopted by God the Father and you're adopted with a new identity. Do you know what happens to a kid, a kid who gets adopted? Their whole identity changes, right? The first thing that changes is what? Their legal status, um, their last name, their, their identity literally changes. This is not your name. This is now your name. This is not the person or organization that is responsible for you. Now, these parents are responsible for you. Um, identity changes. And when you're adopted into the family of God by God the Father, your identity changes. And Paul, in this section of Ephesians 5, he juxtaposes our identity before God, the Father adopts us, and after God the Father adopts us. So before God the Father adopts us, Ephesians 5, 6 says, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Before you're adopted by God the Father, 
as a non-Christian, your identity is sons and daughters of disobedience, of the wrath of God. Once God the Father adopts you into this family through Jesus, Ephesians 5.8, your new identity is what? Children of light, dearly loved children. Do you understand that? Before you were a Christian, there was punishment awaiting you. And now that you're a Christian, there's not. There's the, the punishment already went to Jesus. The wrath already went to Jesus, your big brother took care of everything. Um, everything changed. And it's interesting when kids are adopted, you know, one of the things that counselors and social workers will say to a family as sort of a, a warning as they're adopting a child, they say, you know, sometimes like adopted children are gonna struggle with attachment issues, right? Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll have been abused or neglected and abandoned to such a degree that, yeah, even though this new family loves them, um, the kid may not be so sure it's gonna last. I worked in, in youth counseling in a treatment center, and uh, when, when kids would come in new to our program, um, we'd often have to watch that they would um, hide all kinds of food under their bed and in their closet. It's not that they were hungry, it's just that they weren't sure when their next meal was going to come. And here they were getting a fridge full of food and three squares a day and snacks on top. And it just seemed too good to be true. So they better hoard, right? And so there's, there was this self-preservation, self-protection. Um, maybe where a kid won't be very affectionate. They're not very attached to the family. They, they, they stay kind of aloof. And some Christians are like that too. See, I have seen some children when they're adopted, they don't have any attachment issues at all. They just run into their dad's arms, into their mom's arms and, and kiss and hug and call them dad, call them mom. But there's, there's other kids, they're not like that. You know, maybe what they're thinking is, yeah, my dad's nice today, but maybe he'll be mean tomorrow. My dad loves me today, but maybe he'll disown me tomorrow. My, my, my dad is for me today, but maybe he'll be against me tomorrow. I'm not sure I can trust this family. And so, um, in the same way that those who are adopted physically, sometimes that plays out to those of us who are adopted spiritually. Some of you know that God is your father and you just run to him. Yay, I've got a dad finally. The psalmist says that he's a father to the fatherless. Some of you this morning are still uncertain and you're unsure and you're suspicious. Here's what Paul says. You are now children of light. That means that God's grace is shining on you. God can't love you anymore. He won't love you any less. And once he signed the adoption papers by sealing you with the Holy Spirit, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never disown you. You are his child forever. Your dad loves you. And that changes your identity, right? Um, so as you read the Bible, friend, like, and you read negative things about the wrath of God and hell and judgment, I want you to remember, oh, that's my old identity. And then when you read about 
the love and grace and mercy and affection of God as a father, I want you to say, oh, that's, that's my new identity. Um, we're, we're also adopted into a new family by Jesus, um, our big brother. Ephesians 5.2 says, live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. There's the cross. We're brought into the family through Jesus, our big brother. And I'm, I'm not being kind of flippant or colloquial about that phrasing and calling Jesus our big brother. That, the Bible speaks of him in those terms. And Hebrews 2.17, for instance, it says that Jesus had to be made like his brothers. He takes, up, he takes on human flesh. He takes on pain and vulnerability and temptation. Uh, he walks upon the earth. He's, he's on a rescue mission to go out and get all the rebellious and wayward children that the father wants to adopt into his, adopt into his family. And Hebrews 2.11 says that, that Jesus calls us his brothers if we are Christian. Romans 8.29 talks about Jesus being the firstborn among many brothers. The firstborn in that day was the one who was born to be the next head of household. It's a patriarchal society, right? It's, it's always traced through the male lineage. That's why in the Bible, if you, if you read a genealogy, most often it goes, so-and-so had this son, and then these sons, and then those sons had these sons, right? And it tells the family history through the story of the male line. That's, that's what was going on culturally. And so it tells us who the firstborn was because the firstborn was, was the next patriarch of the next generation. All the inheritance, all the rights of the family came to that firstborn son. And the oldest son then uh, would oversee all the family's property and wealth and family business. If, if dad died, the oldest son would take care of mom and the sisters and he would be the one responsible. He'd assume the role as head over the extended family. And so Jesus, our firstborn big brother, our big brother died so that we could be adopted into the family of God. And he rose conquering sin and death and he reconciles all his sons and daughters back to their loving father. And whatever inheritance we receive, the the Holy Spirit, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, the kingdom of God, all of those things are the possession of Jesus, the firstborn, and he shares them with the family of God. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's amazing. So, Nak, the church family, those of, of us watching together apart right now, um, those are your brothers and sisters. You know why you need to be involved in a church family? Because you don't get to just have a personal relationship with the father or the big brother exclusively. Just like when a child gets adopted into a family, they don't just have just one relationship with a parent. They, they have a relationship that involves all the brothers and sisters and aunties and uncles and cousins. So, if you've ever shown up at NAC 
or went to a small group here and said, you know, man, these people are annoying. Yeah, welcome to the family. And that's what family does. They drive each other nuts. And we were thinking the same thing about you when you showed up. I mean, does anyone drive you nuts more than your family? Nobody does. That's what families are for. Families are, are for your sanctification. So if your family is driving you nuts, they're doing their job. They're helping you grow to become more patient and more loving and more kind and more forgiving, less thinking about yourself and, and offering more prayers. That's why, that's why they're there so that you can grow in these things. And so NAC, we're a big family. Everybody's got a chore. Everybody, everybody needs to be helping out, looking out for the others. Um, those of you who are older in the faith, you're, you're like big brothers, big sisters. Those of you who are newer in the faith, you're like our little brothers, little sisters. You know what, you know what big brothers and big sisters do? They look after the little brothers and little sisters. That's what happens. So for those of you who get frustrated with the church, just hang in there because once a family works through the hard times, um, that tends to be where they really know how to love one another, doesn't it? Like if you're one of those people who pulls into the church, has a little conflict and then rolls out again, never to be seen, um, you know, the reason church may not feel like family is because you keep quitting. I know I've driven my family nuts. It's kind of my spiritual gift. But they've endured me. And as a result, we love each other deeper. And that's what families do. They, they hang in together. So God's heart, my heart, uh, for our church is to be a family. Look, we're not just a TED Talk and some karaoke that meets 52 times a year. We're a family that meets all the time. And now, <laughs> in this season, we have to get a little more creative about what that actually looks like. Biological families have to get more creative about what that looks like. Uh, you see those families gathered outside grandma's house in front of the big picture window because she's self-isolating and everybody's on the phone and they're connecting. That's what families do. And that's what we need to continue to do. It's, it's why NAC can't ever just be a podcast because we're a family. We have um, family needs. We have to see each other. We have to encourage each other. We have to sing together apart. My question to you then is, have you been adopted into the family of God? Is God your father? Is Jesus your big brother? Have you turned from sin? Have you trusted in him? Or are you still what Paul calls sons and daughters of disobedience? Are you children of wrath? Um, give your life to Jesus. Give your life to a good, good father. Um, get connected to God the Father through God the Son, Jesus. Get connected to the church family. Get to know your brothers and sisters. Let me pray for you. Lord, um, 
I pray even now that you would just seal in our hearts that you have adopted us as your children, that you've placed your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And may the Holy Spirit just constantly remind us that we are God's beloved children um, because we're just prone to forget, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So be present in our lives to make us more like you, Jesus. I mean, we could, we can no more change ourselves than we could ever save ourselves or adopt ourselves. You do that, Lord. And even when you have to discipline us, I'm thankful it is always in love. It's never in disgust or regret that you've adopted us. I thank you, Lord, that you didn't just invite me to become a Christian. You called me and adopted me as your own child. And now I get to call you Abba, Daddy, Father, as the Holy Spirit continues to free my heart from acting like a homeless, fatherless orphan. Thank you for this promise. Amen. Amen.